Blog Talk Radio. Are you sick of tales of deleted emails, racial intolerance, and grabbing married women by the uh, police? This is Heroes 101 Radio, your one-stop shop for a little positivity and optimism. So this is uh, Spectre from New York, and I am joined, as always, by the lovely Rock from San Francisco. How are you doing, my dear? I'm doing really well today. Thank you, my dear. Cool, yeah. Apologies for the uh, election references there. I promised I would never do politics on this show, but... uh, Man, oh, man, it's all everyone's talking about these days, right? Oh, my God. You you have to take a break from social media if you don't want to be bombarded. I promise. It's just it's crazy. But everybody yeah. knows that. Um, and we're joined, as ever, by the friendly neighborhood night bug on the soundboards. Welcome, sir. That's what she said. <laughs> wow. Nice. <laughs> the soundboards, what, we, we usually have this really cool intro music that 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 comes on and it's it's grooving and someone wrote it just for us and what happened, Nightbug? I have no idea. <laughs> it's blog talk happened. Blog talk technical difficulties. So people, if you like that cool little grooving, you know, thing that we've got going at the beginning, hey, blog talk is just being a little brat. There, see, I'm, I'm kind of cleaning up. You can say yeah. bitch, it's okay. Well, I I didn't want to say bitch because I thought that would be rude, but since you've already said well, bitch, and now we've gotten to like three, four bitch words at the very beginning of the show. Oh, Sorry, shit. Spectre, we're going to give it back to you. That's it. We're giving it back to Spectre. He keeps it clean. Oh, man. Well, let, let me say up front to our listeners, um, if you want to call in and talk to us about tonight's topics or, or about anything, we kind of like talking to you guys, um, you can call in on area code 347-326-9827. That's area code 347-326-9827. Or you can go to blogtalkradio.com, look up Heroes 101. That's probably where you're listening right now, right? I don't even need to tell you. Um, and you can go in the chat rooms. And uh, Geek Pal says, I hate Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> but, uh, yes, so do we. Um, so <laughs> welcome. So, you know, we've been off for a couple of weeks, and we've had various stuff going on, but the last thing you heard from Heroes 101 Radio were Rock and I in, uh, in a, uh, a sushi restaurant in the Bay Area of California um, eating a ridiculous amount of sushi um, and basically just being dorks for for a video but uh, no that was fun so so nothing new right because we will always every time we see each other eat way too much sushi and be dork so that's you know that's that's our mo right there and i don't apologize (laughs) we we had a we had a great week out there well you guys always have a great week out there but i had a great week out there with you um partly because it was nightbug's birthday and we had a good time and massively geeked out playing um, Star Wars role-playing games, which was, was a really fun experience. Um, we also had a fairly productive week as well, though, right? We we, um, we certainly found... we. I should spit this out better. Who who are we before we even... <laughs> before I go down that road as to what we did during that week? That's right. Do you want to, do you want to tell the listeners, or do you want me to go on my spiel? No, I, I think you short. should go on your spiel, because I'm tripping over okay. my tongue here. It's just... <laughs> it's not working it's for weird, me tonight. Right? It's a weird Tuesday. It's Taco Tuesday at our house. <laughs> and I think it used to you, Inspector. <laughs> um, we've all just wolfed down our meals. And anyway, we, we uh, here at Blog Talk Radio, um, Spectre and I are part of a group called The Initiative. 
And what the hell is the initiative? Well, the initiative is a group of people who sometimes get dressed up in superhero costumes, most times not, and we go out and do good deeds for our community. Why, you ask, if you're a cynic, uh, you know, I can understand that, Um, because it needs to be done. I don't give a damn how corny that sounds. That's how everybody in the initiative feels. And and we've been friends and family for almost six years now. And I can tell you that's what this group does. We we do everything from, oh, God, uh, street patrols to homeless outreach events. Those happen all the time, by the way. And um, needle pickups, use needles, and uh, free self-defense classes. Oh, my gosh, we've got branches that do that um, monthly. We'll we'll provide you links, but we're a bunch of good guys. That's what we are. We really are. We just want to do good things for the community. And that idea is what formed this uh, Heroes 101 radio show. We wanted to bring out, like Spectre said at the beginning of the show, the positive. We're tired of hearing about that. I'm not even going to bring up their names. We're tired of hearing about that one particular family that's done nothing, to um, <laughs> to bring about their own fame. Uh, we're tired of talking politics. We're tired of everything else that, that brings the general, you know, feeling of the world down. So this is what Heroes 101 is all about. That's who we are. Welcome to the show. Wow. Thank you very much. That uh, that was much better than I could have said it. Um, so uh, and, and I think coming back to my point, the week I was out in San Francisco, I think we did most of that in one week. We did a used needle pickup patrol with, with some guys from my from my work who thoroughly had the best time ever picking up uh, used needles on the streets of, of San Francisco. And we found, I mean, I, I don't think the record for you guys, but certainly the record I've ever found on the streets, 157 used needles we took off the streets, which, you know, could have could have been significantly dangerous to people um, um you know we found like groups of 20 to 30 needles just thrown in the gutter by the sidewalk i mean crazy um so we did that we did uh, a public safety patrol and actually drilled some some interesting scenarios so you know what happens if you hear gunshots what happens if you come across a body and that person's not breathing and and you know drilled out some of those scenarios which are things that you do come across if you're uh, working in a, in a public safety capacity. Um, and just a whole bunch of other stuff. We gave out socks and, and water and stuff to, to homeless people who needed it. And uh, uh, a, a very, very cool experience for me, uh, meeting up with you guys again. Well, you know, that's the thing. And if people have been listening to us for a while, then they already know that whenever you come out here to San Francisco, because he comes out in business at the same time every year, uh, every time he steps off that plane, we literally will whisk him to whatever is going on. He always comes at just the right time. I think last year we whisked you away from, you you got to check into your hotel and then you instantly had to come and perform in a concert with us without even getting to rehearse with us once. And then I think the next day, the day after that, we had a a lupus, um, was it a 10, I can't remember what it was. It was a walk to raise uh, funds and awareness for people suffering from lupus. And then we had a street boutique that we, (laughs) oh, my God. Uh, It was almost the same thing this time. So I think that if Spectre decides to make um, excuses to not come to San Francisco, it's because he's probably going, geez, you know, I'm kind of (laughs) tired. I don't want to do all this this time. That won't happen. That won't happen. I know you. You're crazy. You'll come out and do it all anyway. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so we were talking homeless outreach, and one of the things um, which we sometimes hear is, you know, especially when you're somewhere like San Francisco, and the homeless problem is so uh, so in your face and, and just so excessive in terms of the number of people on the streets. Um, we hear a lot of the time, what are you guys really doing? You know, you're giving a homeless guy a pair of socks or a protein bar or some water and great. You know, you've helped them out for a few hours, you've helped them out for a day, but there's so many of them and, and this just isn't addressing the underlying problem. And, and that's really what tonight's show is about, is is there anything that can address the underlying problem? And, you know, for me, I like to think of myself as a fairly simple guy. I, I uh, you know, I... Uh, I try to do what I can to help. I'm definitely not a politician, and I'm not the kind of person who's uh, all about making social change. But to me, that's always been, you know, the the, the cure for this thing is, is social change and, and, you know, actually caring and worrying about the people on the streets and doing something more meaningful from a, a social point of view. But um, I came across a group called Room to Grow um, who have something which appealed to me as I say a simple person who just wants to do simple things to help um, but but has quite far-reaching um, effects as well so um, let, let me explain how I got into this because it was extremely random so I work for an IT company um, my boss was due to go to some charity event for one of our customers to sponsor a table or something um, and I get a call the day before, I can't go to this event, would you and your wife like to go? And I'm like, I'm not the kind of person you send to uh, to fancy charity events. I'm the type of person that sits in a back room with a computer doing stuff. You know, that that's more my comfort zone. I'm not, not the uh, social butterfly. But anyway, no one else can go. Eventually, I, I uh, agree to do it. Um and I start looking at this thing, and it's uh, it's a spring gala, and uh, I, I've never been to a spring gala before. I, buy, I put on my fanciest suit and head down there. Um, we, we're in the cab driving down to this place in, in Tribeca in Manhattan. In the cab driving down there, the cab driver gets pulled over by the cops for doing some illegal turn or something, and, <laughs> and the cab driver just leaves us in the middle of nowhere. And, we end up just hiking half of Manhattan to get to this place and, and turning up a bit of a mess. Um, and we get there, and it's swanky as all hell. It's it's really, really swanky. Uh, there's an open bar um, and loads of, of food, and, and we're stood about completely starstruck by how cool this place is and how swanky it is. And uh, my wife and I are at the bar. We're having a few drinks. Um, and I hear this conversation going on next to me, and I think, I recognize that voice. Um I look over my shoulder, and it's literally Bruce Willis, the actor Bruce Willis of Die Hard, John McClane fame, stood next to me at the bar just having a conversation. And, uh, I, and I, I didn't play it cool at all. There are photos of, of my face when I notice <clears throat> Bruce Willis is behind me at the bar. And, yeah, I, I didn't play it even in any way cool. Um and uh, as well as Bruce Willis and his wife, there's Uma Thurman turns up there later on to give a speech. And she just, you know, she's just Uma Thurman from Kill Bill. And I'm just stood there again, <laughs> gobsmacked. And <clears throat> like, I'm a kid from Sussex in England, right? I'm not, I'm not even from a city. Like, I, I don't hang out with Bruce Willis and Uma Thurman. So, uh, so yeah. And if you look on the, um, if you look on the Blog Talk Radio page, there are photos of 
our guest tonight, Alison Crawford, with Bruce Willis and Emma Willis and Uma Thurman, just just messing around, just being being goofy, as as we were saying. Um, really, really awesome people, and it was an unbelievably incredible night. Um, so anyway, so I, I've learned a few things since that spring gala, and, and we talk about this in a second in the interview. One of the things I've learned very recently as part of this process is I'm no journalist in any way, shape, or form. And I think you'll, you'll hear that from the interview. First of all, the fact that uh, I say so at the start of every sentence, which when I listen back annoys the holy hell out of me. <laughs> that stops <laughs> And uh, and also there's there's a trick of being someone who's interviewing someone that you're supposed to just let them talk and not agree and not say mm and not cough and just and just shut up and let them talk and I I don't have that skill it's immensely uncomfortable to sit there and just listen to someone talk and not respond in any way like even a polite noise. Um, so I don't have that either. So I've definitely learned I'm not a journalist, and this has been a, an interesting uh, experience for me trying to uh, to do a recorded interview. Um, but what I wanted to do though was set the scene for this interview. So this this is Manhattan. It's a it's a few months ago. It's the middle of July when um, when we record this interview, and and Room to Grow is based a few blocks away from where I am. Um, I'm wearing a suit that day for work, and I decide I'm just going to walk down there. I'm not going to bother with a cab. It's like 20 blocks or something. So I walk down there. It's, it's about 105 degrees, and, uh, and I'm wearing a wool suit. And I get there, and I am just drenched. I'm pouring with sweat. And, and I know my shirt is so disgusting that I'm not taking that jacket off. Like, there's no way that thing's coming off. Um, so, yeah, and I turn up, and... Um, you can hear in the background of the interview a hum, and that hum is the air conditioner, which was the most blissful, life-saving thing I'd ever experienced when this when this interview started. So forgive the background noise; it's it's an air conditioner. Um, Alison Crawford, who I was interviewing, uh, you'll you'll see in the photos um, the the photos on the Blog Talk Radio site. Alison Crawford is um, on the left of the photos with Bruce Willis and Uma Thurman, looking extremely glamorous and beautiful in a in a long black dress, um, and and is that naturally graceful and, and glamorous in real life as well as these photos. Um, compared to me, who turns up sweating and, and disgusting in a soggy wool suit in 100-degree heat. So, again, you know, I was maybe a little out of my depth here, which is why I uh, I sound uh, like I'm struggling through some of this interview. But it was a, it was a fun thing nonetheless. Um, so the other thing to set the scene is Room to Grow have, uh, and, and we'll talk about what they do in a second, but Room to Grow have essentially an office, which is, is like a store. It's like you can go in and, and buy things for your children, but if you're um, one of the New York families living in poverty who they select to help, you can walk in and take this stuff for free. So it's like a store that gives away items for free to select families who really need it. Um, and their, and their store is amazing. And, and I'll, I'll put up some photos after this on the Facebook page so people can see, but... Um, they, they, it, it's incredible what they have there. Um, constantly they have trucks pulling up with tons and tons of goods that are being delivered, great cages of toys and clothing and books and all, all the things that kids need to develop when they're growing up. Um, so when you hear these crashes in the background, 
most of that is actually goods being delivered into Room to Grow that go out to those families that need them. So, again, you know, apologies for the background noise, not the best recording in the world, but it, it at least gives you a flavor for what these guys do. Um, so the other thing, I use my own name in this interview because, honestly, it's <laughs> it's someone I know through work, and I have no problem using my own name. So whatever, it, there's there's no issues there. You know who I am. Um, so I'll tell you what, Nightbug, I reckon we should roll the first one of these interviews and see what people think. Before you do, I just want oh, to yeah. say you were in a room with Bruce Willis and Uma Thurman, and you didn't have some type of action movie thing going on. I would have <laughs> leapt across the bar just to see what would have happened and went, let's see what happens. This is this is once in a lifetime to see if a – no, I'm kidding. I know you probably would have got arrested, but, but the temptation. I mean, you've got you've – got, John McClane, and you've got, you know, what, what's your name in Kill Bill? I, that's one of my favorite movies. Bride, I, I, I guess. can't. Not not just the bride. It was it was Beatrix Kiddo. Beatrix Kiddo. Oh that's yeah. Right. Yeah yeah. And I'm going. You have Beatrix Kiddo, and and McClane standing right there. And oh god, the temptation. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but. And, and I do want to also say that I did get to hear, before the show started, a little tiny snippet of the interview. And, yes, there is a, an air conditioning going. So you do have to, you know, it, the volume is going to be loud enough to hear it. But I think that what they do is so important that that you really need to just listen to what they're saying and try to tune out, you know, just the distraction in the room because the interview is worth whatever, you know, you're going to be hearing in the background. So um, with that, I'll, I'll go ahead and, uh, and let Nightbug, should he do the first one? Yes, please. Rock and roll. Okie doke. All right. <laughs> Rock and roll. Okay, this is Simon from Heroes 101 Radio. I'm here with Alison Crawford, Director of Room to Grow. So thank you, first of all, for taking us on. We really appreciate your time on, on coming on the show and uh, sharing your experiences with us. I'm so happy to do it always. Thank you. So I, I guess to start with, I'd just be interested to understand who Room to Grow are and, and where the organization has grown from, if you'll pardon the, uh, the terrible pun. Yeah. So from a bird's eye view perspective, Room to Grow is an organization that essentially works to fight uh, the cycle of intergenerational poverty. So what that means in our world is that we work with low-income families who have young babies from age zero to three. Um, and hopefully we'll get into a lot more detail about why it's designed that way. Um, but the idea is essentially that if we can help to protect the early childhood experience of um, young children who are very much at risk for long-term challenges, whether they're socioeconomic, socio-emotional, um, even physical and health-based, um, that we can really help to support a next generation of folks who are much more successful in the long term. So that's our big vision. Um, the organization was started here in New York City back in the late 90s by our incredible founder, Julie Burns, who's a child psychotherapist. And so that was really her lens. Um, and she was doing social work. She was working at the Karen Horn Eye Clinic, which is sort of a classic New York social work yeah. um, uh, historical landmark in a way. 
and was working with families who had children uh, in foster care or other really challenging circumstances. Um, she wasn't doing a lot of work with babies because the system was really more designed to triage and to address significant sort of already emerging challenges rather than preventive. So I think, you know, the big theme that I hope is something that we've always done at Room to Grow, but that is getting more attention as we learn more about what works, that prevention is really the key to the long-term outcomes, but also to the savings from a human capital perspective, from a financial perspective, collectively for us as a country. Um, and so I think she was really a visionary in that way where she felt like she wanted to start earlier with families and help them support their baby's development. And now, almost 20 years later, we're learning that that is exactly right. And so therefore, the way that we do the work has hardly changed in 20 years. Um, and that's just because every time we look at new research, every time we meet folks who are doing this work and understand how they're getting results, we find that we're doing what we should be doing. And so we've really, I think, been pioneers in this preventative approach um, and really focusing on zero to three sort of before we have all the science on that, um, which is just a great uh, matchup of instinct and experience and science. So that's the history of the organization. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of interesting, you know, within the within the initiative group, we often get accused, if there's any accusation thrown our way, it's that helping homeless people, feeding homeless people is a band-aid over a gaping wound, we're often told. And and, 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 and obviously there, there are measures that are more preventative rather than just trying to treat the symptoms. And, and you know, it's uh, very reassuring to know that things like this are happening. Um, well, I would say I'm, com I'm very familiar with that argument. I feel yeah. like I get into those kinds of debates a lot. Um, and I think there's a really important place for both approaches. Mm. So if you're not doing triage and you're not solving problems as they're arising, there's a cost to that. Yeah. On the other hand, if you're not addressing prevention, then you're just going to be continuing to try to solve the problems in a more acute way later. Yeah. So I think there's a really important place for organizations um, and social enterprise that are focused on both types of solutions right. um, and that we really have a partnership in that in terms of the folks that we're serving. Yeah, and, and you know, our response is always they may be band-aids over a gaping wound, but you have enough of those band-aids and, and you strategically place them well enough and, and maybe, that's, uh, maybe that gets the job done. So, uh, so there you go. So that, that was the background to Room to Grow and I guess the, the, you know, the, the skinny on that is the idea is that if, if you come from poverty, your children um, probably have less of a chance to make it in life than, than if you didn't, and, and you end up becoming stuck in a vicious circle where poverty begets poverty, and you know, uh, poverty ends up being lack of uh, educational opportunities, and, and therefore, um, and, and that leads into uh, lack of employment, and, and so on and so forth, and, and the vicious circle goes around, and, and what Room to Grow are trying to do is, is to break that cycle, and take children from extremely low-income families and provide them with the opportunities that they wouldn't otherwise have had and, and try to uh, and also try to, to educate parents in, in um, I guess providing a, a more stable home environment a more stable learning environment and allowing the kids to uh, 
to, to progress, you know, outside of, of, of what would otherwise have been offered to them. That's fantastic because if you, I mean, even <laughs> going back to our nerd roots, if you watch every, you know, it's not real life, but no, it could be. If you watch every, every Marvel movie, you know, where they actually find out what happened to you, what, what, what set you off on the wrong path. It's usually, right now we're watching Luke Cage, <laughs> and it's, yay, Luke Cage, it's awesome. Oh, uh, yeah. Right? And, and it's usually, and I find this in real life, too, you can find the root of the problem. It, it can always be traced back to childhood most times. There's, a, there's, there's always some, something that, that marked the way that you were going to go. There's something that, that you know, just like you said, if it's, if it's a cycle of, of poverty, if you feel like you don't have clothes that fit you, that you're being ridiculed in school, these are, you know, little kids, especially babies, if you don't, if the parents have to worry about that and struggle about, you know, for that, how much attention can you really be giving to, to what really needs to be paid attention to? So, um, I'm sorry, I'm overwhelmed by what this, this, this organization does, so the words aren't coming as, as, <laughs> as eloquently as I'd like to put this, but I think that, that addressing it at the root is one of the most important things you can do, and I don't think that's a Band-Aid at all. I think right. that if more organizations did that, the world would change within give it a decade, you know, and we, we'd see – Anyway, I'm sorry. I'll stop talking. We we hear the rest of the interview. No, no. I'm just and, excited and about this. The the other thing that really uh, I really identify with with this group as well is helping the kids and breaking that cycle of poverty is the ultimate goal. But to me, as a parent, and and I remember my own father saying to, saying this to me years ago was there was nothing more terrifying than a point where he realized that he didn't have the means to feed my sister and I, that we were, you know, that he, he as a parent, there's no worse feeling and, and greater failing than feeling like I can't feed my kids today. And, you know, and, and, I, and I've been in that situation myself where I've come very, very close to the wire and, and just not Same here. Yeah. from it. And, and, you know, and just knowing the terror and, and and just the horrible feeling of failure that you get as a parent when you're in that place and the fact that there are groups that are just, you know, willing to, to basically fund you and, and, and give your kids everything they need for the first three years of life. I think not only does that, you know, does that, that help you as a parent, but it helps you focus on being a better parent and less about just the, the terror of, you know, how am I going to feed my kids tomorrow? Exactly, exactly. And that, you know, when I could see crime starting from, I, if I had to steal to feed my children, I would steal to feed my children. I'm sorry. There's, it's not even a question. So, you know, it's just desperate times call for desperate measures. And if you can cut out some of that desperation, well, anyway, we can go on with it. Yeah. So let's, let's roll uh, interview number two where uh, I ask Alison a little bit about her personal background and how she got into this gig. Got it. All right. How did you come to be personally involved with Room to Grow? Yeah. Um, so I have a very zigzaggy resume, which I think um, speaks to really my clear decision-making at the end of the day about 
early childhood being a real sweet spot for me, both personally and professionally. So um, it's also something that has come full circle. I My first job ever was teaching two-and-a-half-year-olds in preschool outside of Boston, and I sort of never thought I would end up back here, but um, wow. in between, I went out and taught second grade in South Central Los Angeles through the Teach for America program, mm. um, and that was really a transformational experience for me. I loved it in so many ways, loved the children and the families that I worked with, also felt extremely inadequate in being able to solve some of the challenges and to support the folks that I was working with. Um, and so that's really where I got the bug to mm. do this kind of work. Um, I ended up doing a stint in the, in the private sector on the back of that, which I think actually opened my eyes to a whole different set of experiences that has really informed my work here. So in a lot of ways, I think, you know, the corporate world and the nonprofit world have a lot to learn from each other. And, and some people have done that knowledge share well, and, and many others haven't. So I hope that I'm doing that here at Room to Grow. We're bringing that corporate professional experience to the nonprofit organization as a leader, I think has been really helpful. Um, but essentially, I've always wanted to be back in nonprofit, and so I did some work with middle school after school students at an organization called Citizen Schools, a wonderful extended learning time apprenticeship-based organization. Um, doing work with middle school children, back to this question about Band-Aid or prevention, um, I wouldn't call it a Band-Aid, it's very important, meaningful work, but it is hard, and, you know, it just, I was watching the research about early childhood sort of emerge over the last half a dozen years as I was doing this other work, and I just kept thinking to myself, you know, I'm one person with a limited amount of time, energy, and resources, what is the absolute best return on that investment that I can make as a person? And it seemed to me that being in early childhood is the sweet spot for that because the research shows over and over again that zero to three is the place where a child's brain is developing, where their socio-emotional capacity is developing, and developing in a way that sort of gets locked and loaded at age three, maybe age five, and then very few inflection points past that is there that kind of rapid growth. And so, you know, in terms of what drives me and what inspires me, I think the idea of being able to support and invest in children at this age and get so much return on that investment over time um, has just been really exciting for me and has been a lot of the drive that I feel um, because I think, you know, we can relate to this work with young children and families from an emotional perspective very yeah. easily, so that also is a piece of um, the passion for me, but I'm also a numbers person, and so the, the cost-benefit analysis piece combined with the personal inspiration has just been really powerful. And I think that my experience is not just my own. I think many people around the organization feel <coughs> that way, our supporters feel that way. Um, and I think increasingly our country is feeling that way as we recognize how important it is um, and how much is lost if we don't invest in young children in this critical growth period. Right. And uh, I mean, it's interesting, and, and 
going off topic here, but it's, please it's go off topic. That's more. <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> so I, I find it interesting that obviously, as you say, there's a physiological development between zero and three around the, the way the brain is, is physically developing. Uh, I'm assuming as well it must be also important from an emotional point of view to instill a sense of um, ambition and drive and, and just just the idea that as a child that they can dream and they can make those dreams a reality. Whereas you know maybe if the kids weren't weren't enrolled in Room to Grow, they may not may not receive that type of message. Yeah, it, it's it's a <coughs> great point. I think the brain development one is very concrete. Mm. Eighty-five percent of a child's core brain structure is developed by age three. So that's a pretty incredible, um, scary, and also opportunistic point to mention, um, because we can do a lot in that area. But also the point about socio-emotional development is increasingly at the forefront of this conversation about what early childhood healthy development means. Um, I think learning that the parent-child relationship is so much more critical than we ever imagined to that socio-emotional development and that so parenting sensitivity, for example, is critical. Responsiveness, being attuned to a child's needs, really forms that socio-emotional perspective in the child as well and that that socio-emotional capacity affects the child's ability to learn in school and to function in society in ways that are much more difficult to change later if they're not set on a strong foundation. So I think you know the conversation about what does it mean to be school ready is a primary place where this socio-emotional topic is moving to the forefront because it's one thing to talk about math skills, it's another thing to talk about what facilitates the capacity to acquire math skills and that's the ability to listen, to interact with a group or a team or have a conversation with another person, um, sort of control impulses, right? So those are the kinds of things that um, we talk about executive functioning in the brain. It is not separate from that, the same levers that we need to push to support socio-emotional development. So uh, I, I don't know about you, Rob, but two things really, really struck me about what Allison said there, and hopefully more than two, but two things really, really stuck out to me. Um, one was, and uh, actually the first one I think was just how cool the people are that you meet when you're involved in volunteering and community work. Just, just what awesome people you bump into. Um, but uh, how, like Allison said. Every single person I've worked with in, in any kind of volunteer capacity feels inadequate in terms of addressing the underlying problem. Like the problem is always so massive, and <clears throat> you feel like just one person chipping away at it. But um, you know, I find it so encouraging to meet those people. And the other point, which I'm just going to leave hanging out there, was the uh, Allison's comment about um, people from the corporate world making a massive difference in nonprofits because. You know, nonprofits are typically worked out by volunteers who, uh, for all the goodwill in the world, don't treat it like a business. Um, there you go. That's my two cents. Oh, I'm, I'm inclined to agree with you absolutely. And I'm as as disheartening as it can be, feeling like we we we're only making a tiny little splash in a giant you know ocean. Um, I, I to hear her you know say something along those lines. It's encouraging because that's what we feel like all the time. And the initiative is we have 10, 10 branches across the United States and in the UK. And, and as much as we do, we feel like we'd, and we've been doing things guys for 
six years, just we do everything we can. And yet we say that all the time, that we feel like we're just a drop in the bucket. Um, and here's this corporation that's, that's you know, growing and, and has sponsors like Uma Thurman and Bruce Willis, and she feels that way. You know, I think that's just the affinity that people in volunteer work have. They They just feel as though they can't do enough. They're not doing enough. And I think that's the beautiful thing about volunteers is they'd like to fix the problem instead of just, you know, just fixing a symptom. They'd like to cure it. So, um, yeah, like I said, as disheartening as that can sound, it's it's encouraging as well. Yeah, yeah. And and similarly around the age of the kids, you know, the fact that, as she was saying, all all of the evidence points to the fact that between birth and three years old, you can make such a massive difference in the physical development in the brain, the emotional development of the child, and you know that that's really the sweet spot. That if you're going to try to turn the issues that poverty causes around and, and fix things at the uh, the root, that that's where you do it from birth to three years old. So, uh, so then after this, I ask what I thought was a fairly good question, but in a really bumbling way. So uh, let's uh, let's roll on with uh, interview section number three, I guess. Right. Coming from the UK into the US, you know, moving over here, you, you hear a lot of people talk about how the US school system is intellectually a, a year behind the UK school system, that if you come over at age nine, you're probably going to be the equivalent of a US student at age 10. And, and there's a real skepticism about the, the quality of education in the US. My finding has been perhaps academically there may be some grounds for that accusation, but the U.S. school system spends a lot more time on emotional intelligence, around social responsibility, around the way you should act as a member of your community, the way you should act to your classmates. And, and, and that, to me, is, is worth more, as you say, it's a facilitator for learning other, other topics. And, and to me, that's something that's made me very, very glad I made the move across the Atlantic and, and have my children growing up in a system where those sorts of points are more important. So. Uh, Boy, I'm not sure I'm qualified to weigh in on the comparison fully, but I I would certainly be heartened if that were the case. Um, you know, I think that American school districts and, and specific schools struggle a lot with working with children who come from a background where they have risk factors. And so that's exactly what we're trying to do here. Um, imagine if every three-year-old were going into pre-K and then kindergarten with this kind of support and experience, I think it would radically change their experience in school, which, as you're saying, is part of that academic process, ultimately. So um, that's kind of our vision for you know, Room to Grow as an organization, but also many other early childhood organizations that are doing great work and should be doing more of it across the country. Right, right. Um, so I think probably already um, described the program model. Was there anything a little bit. I can, I can actually describe it specifically <laughs> yeah, um, because I think it's very interesting and one of the most unique pieces of this work. And I just mentioned there are lots of other organizations that are doing great zero to three work as well. Mm. What makes Room to Grow different is the combination of things that we do. So there are three primary pillars to the services that we provide. Um, the first being parenting education. So we have a very specific curriculum from birth to 36 months about exactly what to expect and how to support the achievement of developmental milestones with children. So we meet with families every three months in person for a good solid chunk of time and we talk about everything under the sun from 
early literacy and language development to physical development and all the things we've talked about, socio-emotional. Um, so that's the primary pillar of the work. The second is the material items for the baby. And so that's significant in a couple of ways. One is that it intersects with the parenting education curriculum, as you can imagine. So if you're talking about the importance of interactive play and how serve and return between a mother and a child really facilitates that child's development, then at Room to Grow, you're then turning to the baby boutique and saying, let's select together five toys from this section of the boutique that would help support that practice that we talked about around interactive play. And then that parent is taking home the knowledge, the physical materials, and the confidence to implement that at home. Um, the third thing that we do is support in other ways that, that help to develop family system stability. So, um, like you said, there are also band-aids that we need to apply to a low-income family who may be struggling with housing, access to benefits, domestic violence, and sort of you name it, it walks through the door here as a challenge. And so we help to traffic cop access to other services and make sure that families are solving those problems over time. Since we work together for three years, we really have the opportunity to set both <coughs> short and long-term goals around the things that we know create overall family system stability, but then ultimately are helping to create a thriving and stable environment for the child. Right. So uh, to me, that, that was pretty key, the fact that not only are they providing the um, the, the, essentially the goods that the child needs to develop the physical materials, the books and the toys, and but then the um, the education for the parents. And it, it's simple things like um, reading before bedtime, just, just how much that develops a child's brain. Um, and, and, uh, and just some of those good habits that I think some people think of as no-brainers, but, you know, if, if, you're, if you haven't been brought up in that kind of an environment and that kind of a way, how do you know what's, what's right and what's wrong? And then the last piece around linking um, parents up with other services that can complement this, I, I just, you know, it, it seems to me like such a good system that, that can be so supportive to people who really need it, you know. Right. I'm thinking that, that with everything they offer parents who are, you know, living at the poverty level, um, I, I'm loving the fact that, celebrities like like Uma Thurman and Bruce Willis are involved because you know what I could see that offering and, and New York is not tiny you know and the surrounding areas um, I could see that they would need to have their supplies replenished I mean I know that they would need support in all of the other areas that they cover aside from just getting the children you know like you said the goods the items they need so I wow I'm really hoping that there's something that we can do to partner along with them and to help them, you know, acquire more for their organization. Yeah, yeah. So I, I have some plans in that regard that I'll, uh, I'll share at the end. But um, I think for now, <laughs> let's, let's roll into uh, part number four where we talk about something which um, I think you might recognize from some of the stuff that we do when, uh, when they explain it. Okay. And you mentioned something that, that really rang true with me as well around the, the baby boutique, and, and obviously the listeners won't be able to see this. We will mm -hmm. have some photos that I took during my time in Room to Grow as a volunteer. Um, 
Right. But, uh, you know, one thing we've noticed during the homeless, we, we learned from a, a group in uh, Salt Lake City, is, is the idea that of a street boutique. So rather than taking garbage bags or boxes of clothes along for the homeless, we actually take along clothes hangers and, and lay it out like a store, and they can browse through. And, 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 they, and, and there's so much more dignity in terms of actually selecting something that's on a hanger, like a real store, but getting it for free, than there is you know, rooting around in garbage bags or, or begging for it or, you know, whatever the other alternatives are. And, and the way you have the store laid out here is, is just incredible in terms of achieving that, that same goal. Yeah, it's an absolutely important point and I think you're spot on to use the word dignity. I think it's one of my favorite words to describe the room to grow experience from a client's perspective. Um, a lot of times you walk into social service agencies and it does not feel this way. And that's, that's the quality and the presentation of the environment is also um, presented in the tone and tenor and the strengths-based approach of our social work clinicians. So all of that wraps into what I think is at the very heart of our theory of change, which is to say, we're here for you, and this is a resource that you deserve, that parenting deserves this kind of resource, that your child deserves this kind of resource, and let us know how we can be of the most help to you, and we're partners in this. So, you know, it's the entire approach of the organization, um, which we're very careful to be intentional about at every stage, and I, I think about this a lot when I think about, you know, growing the organization and how to preserve and maintain that. It's partially our culture, and so really making sure that our culture is infused in everything that we do, um, but that we're really thinking about clients as the ultimate um, sort of customer service approach, and that right. we're really here for them. And so I think they feel that. I hope that they feel that. I hear that they feel that. Um, and so it's a very important point. I appreciate you bringing it up. Mm. And, and uh, again, you mentioned serving clients. <coughs> That's exactly the same phrase we use. That we're not helping people who are down on their luck. We're, we're serving people who, because they're human beings, or parents, or they've got kids, and, and another human being deserves deserves that level of respect. And I think another way of saying that is that, you know, we really believe that everyone has the potential to be an incredible parent. And yeah. so we're just here to activate that potential and remove the barriers to that. Um, and we know how easy that is to do in some cases and how challenging that is to do. And we're sort of in it for the long haul with him. Right, right. And then that's, again, is important that you're not storming in saying, hey, we know better. You know, we know how to parent. You don't. We're going to do this better than you could. It's facilitating a person becoming a better parent themselves. That's very well said. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I would agree. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so yeah, so the baby boutique really, really reminded me of this, the street boutiques, the, the legacy initiative, and now you guys in, in San Francisco hold where, um, and I, I love the fact that these that, that they refer to their clients as clients. Like, I, I kind of, I, you know, I, I think I'm going to adopt that phrase as part of the uh, the New York Initiative's homeless outreach, that, you know, the people we're giving stuff out to are our clients. That That's who we're there to serve, you know. Yeah, that sounds fantastic because I, I was thinking about this and I was thinking about how you and I both were discussing how we've been very close to not being able to feed our children too, you know, at some point in our life. And, um, you know, it's hard enough to be a parent, to try to be a good parent. And then you take away the money. You take away the goods that we need. And, and then you take away that level of dignity when you walk into the social service. I've been in these social service offices, and I know what it's like to feel like 
you know, they're, they're not happy that you're there. You're not happy that you're there. So the, the permeating energy is just horrible, you know. So the fact that she's talking about how they serve their their clients, I love that, with dignity. The whole thing is just knowing it feels like someone's on your side. It feels yes. like someone, you can feel that they want you to succeed. So it can only get better from there. I, I'm loving this whole approach. Yeah. And, you know, I, I... I, I kind of wanted to pause there and explain my own experience as a volunteer there as well, because um, I, I really liked what Alison mentioned, that it, the environment is important in terms of having an environment that, that is welcoming, like you say, not like a social security office where you're just a number and stood in a line. You know, I, when I first moved to the United States, I went to the social security office to get my social security number for the first time, and a guy had been there for hours and had fallen asleep in his chair and had missed Hello. his number in the, in the line when they called it woke up just afterwards and they made him go to the back of the line again and I'm like really? Do, do people wow. matter that little to you? Um, but yeah I think so, so Alison's point about the environment I think is really key but then the attitude of the staff as well and you know we've seen that ourselves with people like the Legacy Initiative and the manner with which they conduct themselves is so important to, to the way they're received on the streets you know um, and right. so, yeah, so I, I was going to kind of just cover my experience of a volunteer. And, and really, it was a very, very simple process. I just went down there straight after work. It's like a 10-minute walk from my office. Um, and, and like I say, I, I, when I'm at work, I, I'm, I, I do a bunch of management stuff. I, I get involved in big decisions and, and a lot of stress. And when I volunteer for things, I like, you know, giving a homeless guy a pack. I like carrying a bag. I like lifting a box, you know, simple manual things where I don't have to think. I just do something that I'm told to do and get on with it. And, and, and Room to Grow was exactly like that. I, I went in, there, there were boxes and boxes and boxes of donated items in, in a big storeroom, well, a small storeroom out the back that was just crammed with them. And they needed to be sorted. So it was literally pick this box up, put it there, take these things out, put them there. And, and I, I love volunteer work like that, where I can just I can just brainlessly do as I'm told and get stuff done. Um, and the other half of it, the, probably the second hour, was here is a box of kids' clothing, you know, onesies for babies through to three-year-olds um, and, and various other items of clothing. Just fold them. You know, here's the the procedure we use to fold clothes, um, fold them up and put them on these shelves and just make it look professional like a store. Um, and, and, you know, that to me was a really, really enjoyable way of volunteering because as you're doing this, and, and it, it's not, you know, it's not the most um, brain-intensive work, which, as I say, I loved, but it means that you get time to chat to the other volunteers and meet people. And nobody you meet through this stuff is going to be anything other than an exceptionally cool human being who is donating their time to help other people. Oh, absolutely. Great point. Um, yeah, I'm sure some jerk's going to walk in. I don't want to volunteer. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> it's going to be all people like you who've got good hearts and want to do something. So, And if you're listening right now, and we're always big on um, trying to find new volunteer work to do. So, I, wow, I, I, I'm sure you're going to hear this a lot, but I would absolutely encourage you to contact Room to Grow um, and go down and do some volunteer work. If I were in the New York area, the next time I am, we'll go together, Spectre. Oh, we'll go man. and do that yeah. together. Get a whole Absolutely. group down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So let's uh, let's roll on to interview section number five, where uh, I'm looking to see whether you know this system sounds great, but does it really work? Are, are there any success stories that Alison could share with us? Do you have any um, interesting stories? Any any uh, and particularly stories of success as, as to how Root to Grow has, has really helped local families? Yeah, <coughs> I I'll share the most recent interaction I've had with. Uh, a client that really moved me. Um, there's a young mom in her early 20s, single, with a one-and-a-half-year-old beautiful little girl, and I, I had the chance to talk to her about her experience with Room to Grow and in the program, um, and she sort of immediately burst into tears and said, I, Alice and I have never felt this much support from anyone in my life, um, and it has radically changed for me, what I believe is possible for my child, for me, um, you know, and I think hearing that from someone who is really struggling in so many fundamental ways, she's um, working at Home Depot and has hopes to go back to school but doesn't have a clear trajectory for that, so I think feels some real disappointment about her own accomplishments as an adult um, and really wants to see a different pathway for her child and so just sort of has this beautiful way of talking about that where she said that the support that she feels from our clinicians here has helped her to translate that to her support for her child. And so um, she just feels, I think, very much mixed emotions about sort of disappointment about what is today for her um, and in some ways for her child, but then real hope and confidence about what's possible for her one-and-a-half-year-old over time and that she knows what are the things that she can do to help make that actually happen. So she knows that interactive play on a daily basis and reading a book every night and coming here and making sure that she um, has support herself from people at Room to Grow and other places is going to be what makes a difference for her child. And so just to hear that sort of very sophisticated reflection on her life and her dreams and her disappointments was really powerful for me and I think reflects um, you know, a, a very common experience of Room to Grow and sort of a, a client profile that we often see where they have this inflection point. Um, it could go well, it could not go well at this point, and hopefully we're helping to steward it um, in a positive direction together. I guess it's almost sad in one way that, as you say, if, if she's never had this much support in her life, um, you know, that, that's, and that's, a, that's a pretty sad thing, but the fact that you're breaking that, that cycle of, that, that could be repeating with her child and, and giving her, the, as you say, the hope and confidence for the future is, is incredible. Yeah, so, that's absolutely right. Um, and, you know, for example, um, it gets very specific within the curriculum where they're looking at things like language development, and one of the things she mentioned to me was that, you know, her child was slightly behind the ideal benchmark on being able to say, a certain number of words at this age, and so she was really focused on that and really promoting, you know, early literacy, reading, language development, narrating things while they're walking through the grocery store to try to encourage the, the, her daughter's language development, and those are exactly the levers um, that, if they're pushed, can make a big difference for that child down the line. So um, it's interesting to hear, you know, that she recognizes that there's not a delay yet, but a potential concern and that she's really actively working towards a sort of a perfect case study on what may not be a success today, but I, I anticipate will be a success um, over the next couple of months for sure.
Yeah, so I, I don't know about you, Rock, but this, um, I must admit, it, it broke my heart hearing about this woman with a, with a one-and-a-half-year-old who just had no kind of support and amazing that she's got support now. But just, just the thought that there are parents out there who just are just drowning. Um, so, you know, it, that, that, that whole section was a real double-edged sword to me. But... Um, it reminded me that when, when my kids were in, I guess, the equivalent of kindergarten, um, I used to go in and volunteer at their school. I, I don't know whether you're, you're even allowed to do it anymore anywhere or, and whether that's a thing here in the States, but uh, I used to go in and volunteer at the school and just sit there and let the kids read to me and, and try to help them. You know, if, if they didn't know their alphabets, I'd try to help them with that. I'd help them sound out words. And, and, and there was such different levels of ability in the kids' class um, and, and there were some some kids who came from families with real issues. You know, there was, uh, you know, a, a two twins who were the kids of a mum who was a heroin addict, and the dad was in jail. I mean, you know, it was wasn't the most uh, socially uh, sound family to come from. And and I used to just go in and just let them try to sound words out to me um, for an hour a week or whatever it was. And um, I think the fact that you can do things like that and help other people's kids, you can obviously do that and help your own kids learn um, is a pretty decent uh, way to spend your time, I would say. It is, and, and it was heartbreaking. I, if if I were there, I, I probably would have asked her, how did you keep from crying yourself? Because, you know, I'm overly emotional when it comes to children anyway, but, to, you know, to hear somebody... I, I'm sure she'll hear so much of that, and she's probably heard more, you know, previous to that, where these families are so grateful to finally have someone to to have their back, you know, because, number one, when you're down at that poverty level, sometimes, even if you do have family, you don't want them to know, you know, what you're going through, um, and sometimes you have absolutely no family, no support at all, so... Uh, God, you know, think about it. Where would that mom have gone? Um, she would have been another number, like you said, in one of the uh, government offices trying to wait to get help. So, um, yeah, I'm really happy hearing these. Yeah. So my next question, this uh, interview part six, um, <clears throat> I, I thought to myself at this point, this is the coolest idea ever. Why don't we just make a whole bunch of YouTube videos and just teach people this stuff so they don't even need to go into any clinics. And uh, Alison very eloquently tells me why that's a pretty dumb idea. So uh, let's, let's roll on with Section 6. Okay. Section 6 is rolling, but it's really quiet. <laughs> All right. Well, if Hi. Section 6 doesn't want to play ball, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll explain... What I should have probably just guessed from the start is electronic mediums are cool and all. Um, if you miss that human touch, you pretty much miss out on the on everything behind what you're trying to achieve. So, uh, you know, uh, I, I definitely still think there's probably, you know, I, I, I've been doing a lot of thought myself around this whole learning through video type of a deal. You know, we, we do all of our updates every week in the initiative now via video, and we get a ton more more hits and a ton more um, exposure than we would if it was just text. Um, so I think the reach of video is, is pretty important. And as a, as a microphone, it works Out of interest well. and, and 
maybe ah, it'll work. maybe even <laughs> in theory it, it falls down. But uh, have you looked into, and maybe someone else is already doing this, but have you looked into the possibility of kind of distance learning for, for parents to, to learn these kind of skills? And, um, you know, I guess some of the things that you Blog Talk is doing its own thing. It, it was deciding <laughs> when it was going to play that, and then it decided that it was going to turn it off. So I, I think uh, maybe it'd be better if we let you continue what you were saying. So yeah, I already gave a spoiler on that one. But, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, I, I think um, especially when, as you say, it's, it's something where someone's feeling exposed and, and, and they have no support anywhere else. Are they really going to learn enough through YouTube videos or distance learning packs or whatever to really make a difference? You know, I, I think unless you've got an actual um, social worker or, you know, a carer there to actually help you through it, I, I can't see it working. So, I, I, you know, I, I kind of uh, debunk my own my own idea there, I guess. I, I, I tend to agree. I, you know, and you and I, we, we tend to agree on a lot. So I don't want people going, she's always agreeing with him. Well, he's a pretty reasonable guy. I mean, there are times when he and I have been like, nope. Nope, but Ned, but but with this, yeah, we're pretty much on the same page. The emotional, the emotional content. Uh, it's it's important to 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 be able to reach out to someone, and and to be able to speak with someone, and even just to have an ear, you know, a, a real live person. So, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that one. That despite all the all the media, you know, out there that we can use, it's it's wonderful to have the one on one. You know, know, I'm very guilty these days in taking every idea that I think is cool and saying, hey, if you put it online, instead of reaching 100 people, you'll reach a million people. And, uh, you know, (laughs) uh, until you realize, well, but you need a million people to facilitate that as well. Yeah, okay. I get a little over enthusiastic about technology. Me too, um, but we do. We just want to spread our good news. What can we say? Um, <laughs> by the way, we, in the chat room, and thank you to those of you who are in the chat room, we've got Treeson, who happens to be the head of our um, Illinois branch of the initiative, is saying the focus on helping children during early childhood is great. I would actually like to see our society do this for all children. Until it does, though, it's good to have a group like this out there helping children during this critical time in their life. It's absolutely true, those first few years. Um, and we also have um, Impact, who is a member of Extreme Justice League, uh, and the head of their um, North Carolina branch says, there is that kind of cliche that kids need, want structure, and it's kind of true. Kids need stability. I know people who've joined gangs mostly because they offer stability and safety, and that's absolutely true also. As sad as it is, the gangs are the first ones to offer that support, like that young mom was talking about, Talison, that's, that's, you know, there's the first support they've ever had, and it comes in a negative way, but it's still support, right? Yeah, yeah, and without wanting to go off on a tangent, I, I've literally had friends who have left the military and by the loss of that kind of a structure that they, you know, and obviously the extreme structure you have in the military that you're told where to be and when to be there and, and, and your day is extremely structured and then coming out into, you know, the, the regular world, if for want of a better term, um, it, it can be a, a crazy thing to deal with. Um, so, yeah, I completely agree on every level with, the, with those statements. Um, so I'll tell you what, so uh, let's, let's roll on to the next section of the interview, which is essentially us plugging um, a pretty cool event that uh, Room to Grow have got coming up. 
Absolutely. Radio wants to play. Right? We'll see here. Let's see. I know you have a, an upcoming event as well, the, the Power Breakfast. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what that Power Breakfast is and, and uh, what you're hoping to achieve. So there are a number of ways that your listeners or anybody else could get involved with the organization. We're a very open door to anybody who'd like to collaborate with us. Um, one of the ways of doing that is to come to events. I think it's a great way to learn more about the organization, to get a feel for it, um, and also to support. And so on Tuesday, October 25th, at Bryant Park Grill, uh, early morning, 9 a.m., we have uh, an hour-long breakfast with a really exciting panel. Um, I'm really dying for this one. I've been um, looking forward to this for a while. But we have Matt Dowd from ABC. We have Nick Kristoff from the New York Times. And we have Juju Chang, um, the anchor of Nightline, moderating. And so what we're asking them to speak about on the panel is policy and politics and essentially how that affects families across the socioeconomic spectrum. And we're hoping we can get some conversation in there about early childhood and early childhood policy, but it's really meant to be sort of a broad conversation um, you know, between a couple of folks who probably have very different opinions, um, so it's meant to be a little bit pushy, so we hope it'll be lively. Um, and so you can, you can purchase tickets at roomtogrow.org, and hopefully people will come and come out and support and enjoy the conversation. Fantastic. Um, and, and for our, our listeners, particularly those in, in New York City, um, how would you recommend people uh, help in, in other ways if they're not able to make it to the Power Breakfast? Sure. We also have a Boston office as well, so my answer will apply to both cities. Um, so there are many ways to volunteer. I think you've been a volunteer here, which yes. means you can come in either as an individual or put a group together and come and help with our baby boutique. That means counting, sorting, folding, books, clothes, toys, equipment. Um, and then there's also ways to get involved through things like our young professionals committees. Uh, they run fundraising events for us and help to support the organization on special projects. And you can also send us your baby things. And so sometimes, again, that can be an individual um, clearing out their uh, outgrown books, toys, and clothes. But also we have schools and other organizations and um, communities put together what we call a, a clothing drive or a book drive or a toy drive or all of the above um, and sort of gather up things over a period of time and then send a whole bunch of stuff our way, which is really exciting. So we have toolkits for that kind of thing as well. So all of the information is available at roomtogrow.org and feel free to reach out. Great. Great. Thank you. And, and of course, the sirens in New York City. <laughs> no, you know, I love that. I've been hearing the the horns honking, the sirens, and you know, it's 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 quintessential New York. I love it. It makes me feel like I'm back here. I miss yeah, it. right. Um, so yeah, so um, I'll tell you what. Let's roll into into uh, piece number eight now of this thing because uh, it's a similar topic that I wanted to uh, wanted to pick your brains on after after this one. Okay. I guess I first experienced Room to Grow, and, and, and we first met at the, the Spring Gala in uh, downtown, yeah, which was one of the most amazing events. I, I've, and I, I've been to a few events in Manhattan, and that was probably one of the most amazing I've ever been to. It was uh, possibly the open bar may have added to that. but um, <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it, but thank you. We'll take the compliment anyway. <laughs> um, 
and then possibly resulted in me waking up with receipts for things that I'd bought <laughs> as a salvation. <laughs> That's <and> how <laughs> it works. <laughs> yeah. That's called fundraising. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there were some incredible celebrities there as well, and, and uh, you know Emma and Bruce Willis, and, and uh, Uma Thurman was there as well, as, as as well as a bunch of other people who, uh, mm. you know, for me as a, a, a kid from England, I, uh, <laughs> I was my mind was a little blown by that. But um, I just wondered from from the point of view of Room to Grow, how important is the the celebrity factor in, in quotes? Now, how how important is that towards driving uh, fundraisers, and, and is that something that you actively encourage? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I think it's really important. It's important to raise the visibility of the organization. I think celebrities have. Um, an incredible power of amplification that I don't have, say, for example, so it's really wonderful to have them support. I think what Room to Grow is lucky enough to have is a number of celebrities who also are very involved in the organization in other ways, and so I do. I think that makes them better spokespeople, um, but it also is very heartening to see that they're involved in the organization on a daily basis and not just when it comes time to show up to an event. So, for example, Uma Thurman has been on our board for 18 years. She's a founding board member. She cares very, very deeply about the strategic direction of the organization and generating resources of all kinds to help support what we need you know, from year to year. So she's been an amazing, an amazing long-time supporter. Um, Emma and Bruce Willis have been more recent relationships, but I will say that working with Emma Willis has been an absolute pleasure for me as a leader. Um, again, somebody who cares so deeply and so authentically about the organization and about the work that we do that we're in sort of constant communication and she's always looking for ways that she can help support big or small PR or not. So I think we're sort of getting the best of both worlds on the celebrity front. Um, and, and I think it really speaks to people, you know, at the event that you were talking about last spring, Savannah Guthrie was also with us and she just recently announced that she's having a second baby. And so I think the, the cause speaks to people who are parents um, in a way that's very personal. So she spoke very eloquently that night about why Room to Grow matters. And so I just really appreciate that authenticity and sort of deep understanding from a personal perspective about what the organization does. So um, I, I couldn't hope for more on that front. I think not everybody is that lucky, but that's our scenario for sure. Sure. And, and, and I think the... Um the speeches that, that happened at the event, it was very, very clear, as you say, just how passionate the, the celebrity guests were. You know, it wasn't just a, hey, where's the open bar? It was, it was very much people invested in the cause and, and, and the work that you're doing. So that was, uh, that was incredible to see. And I think that's, more, that's most important for us because from that comes everything else, right? So, like I said, I think knowing the organization as well as they do, they become better spokespeople, which raises more resources and awareness, and so there's sort of a virtuous cycle there. Um, I think if you miss the part where there's this authentic engagement and the time spent to understand the organization, then you probably don't reap the rewards in that way. So, um, I think that's, that's what we appreciate about their involvement. So, uh, yeah, wow. so, Rook, you know, I guess coming back to your point earlier about you know having people like Bruce Willis on the books the thing that really surprised me when i was there at the event was Bruce Willis um 
initially I thought he was a little standoffish. You know, people were asking him for autographs and selfies, and he was polite, but he declined almost all of them. Um, and, and he pretty much kept himself to himself. I mean, he would say hello, and, you know, people would say, I'm your biggest fan, and he'd say thanks. But, uh, you know, that, that was pretty much as far as it went. Um, but... I think that, you know, the whole point he was trying to make, and exactly the same with Uma Thurman later on, was um, it's not about them. You know, they're there to support a charity. They're not there to be celebrities. This isn't, you know, a red carpet event. This is them supporting Room to Grow. And, and I, I, you know, I think that showed some integrity that I kind of respected at the end of the day. It did. You know, I'm thinking about that because at first when he says standoff, I'm like, what's wrong with him? And then I realized, you know what? Were he to have made it about him, it would have been talk about him. It would have been – all the posts would have been about him. Instead, I'm sure if someone walked up and asked him, you know, or, or thanked him for his involvement in Room to Grow or discussed something about Room to Grow, he probably would have engaged them because he was there to support the, you know, organization and, and you know, be more visible, um, you know, than, than – not having celebrities. I like what she says about about having them there. There, uh, they raise the visibility um, through you know their celebrity amplification. You know what what she couldn't do without them. At the same time, they didn't make it about them. I, I'm liking that. Yeah, I think I I respect him more now because of that. What about Uma? Was she that way too? Yeah, so and, you know it's funny because I, I didn't realize Bruce Willis was going to be there until I, I, I arrived at the event. Whereas I saw on the uh, actually I just Google image searched um, Room to Grow's previous year's gala because um, I didn't know what to wear. I was literally, is it a black tie thing? Is it a casual thing? Like what the hell am I doing? So I Google image search it and Uma Thurman's over all of the images and I thought, holy crap! And I I had a look at the invitation and she was one of the the chair people and and as. Um, as Alison said, she's been at, at, on the board of directors for 18 years at Room to Grow, so it's not like she's a, a fly-by-night. Um, but, yeah, with Bruce Willis, I, it was only when I was looking at the auctions, there were some silent auctions going on, and um, one of them said um, Willis Wine Cellar Chosen Wines or something. It was like a crate of wine from from the Willis Wine Center. Um, <laughs> wine cellar. And, and yeah, and I take a look and it says chosen by hand by Emma and Bruce Willis. And I'm thinking, surely that's not the Bruce Willis. And uh, of course, when I turn <laughs> up, it actually is. But but it was very, very low key. Um, the the funny thing was that the, um, there, there was a, a kind of a live auction at the end of the night, it, it, you know, after everyone had had way too much to drink in the open bar. And the top right. prize of the night, there were some awesome prizes, you know, a safari in Kenya and this and that. Top prize oh, for the nice. night is um, going to see, I think it was Sting and Peter Gabriel in Madison Square Garden with Bruce and Emma Willis for the night. Um, <laughs> and and I'm not going to spoil the person's reputation by saying how much they paid for it, but it got to the point where the, there was just a bidding war going on for these tickets at the end. Um and it was running into significant amount, amount, amounts of money. And Uma Thurman was bidding against the winners to, to try to get tickets to go and see Sting and Peter Gabriel with Bruce Willis and Emma Willis. Um, but uh, but it was really, really good-natured. You know, everyone was just there to raise money for a good cause. And, um, you know, I don't think anyone uh, anyone made too much of a fool of themselves, uh, aside from me. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> so it was a, a pretty, pretty low-key for, for those big wow. names, I guess. Wow, um, 18 years. I love her. I love her even more now. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the very last part of the interview now, um, which is good because we're nearly out of time, um, was kind of a question that I asked because it's something that's very, very close to our own hearts and the initiative. So uh, maybe we can uh, roll the final section, if, you, if that's okay, Mr. Nightbug. Yeah. My last question is, um, <clears throat> obviously, volunteer work is, it can be can be pretty draining. You know, we, we certainly find with our volunteers that there are cycles. You know, some people come and go, some people come, burn themselves out, take a break, come back again, and, and I, I've been in that place myself. Um, I definitely sympathize. And, and it, you know, most people have got a day job as well. It's, it's not easy to juggle both, and family commitments and everything else. Um, how do, how do you kind of motivate and, and retain your, your core of staff and, and volunteers? How, how does that work at Rooms Grow? Mm. It's a great question, and I completely agree. There are, there are some cycles to this that are challenging. I, I think our core values and mission and making sure that those two things are really communicated in everything we do is what sort of refills that tank on the, the effort that's being spent from our team and also from volunteers. So that's what we can do to say thank you is to continue to share the message of how important what they're doing is, what our results are. Um, you know, when we're seeing that nine out of 10 of our babies are meeting their developmental benchmarks on time, which is not the norm in a low-income community, then hopefully that fuels some of that energy. Um, so growth, inclusion, uh, transparency and sharing results I think is really important but also being clear about how you engage and for us that means being structured about our volunteer days and um, you know it's a couple of hours or you tell us what you can do and we'll work to that and make it a meaningful experience so I think just being flexible as well and letting our volunteers tell us what they can do so that's how we try to approach it. Great well, thank you and Thank you in general for the interview for, and, and for the work you do as well. It's, uh, it's an incredible cause, an incredible charity, and uh, um, <laughs> we, we're, uh, we're very, very uh, honored to have you on the show. Thank you so much. It's really a pleasure. It's always fun to talk about this topic for me, and I appreciate you doing this kind of work where you can get the message out. So there we are. That was the, uh, the Room to Grow interview. Um, so yeah, I, I really liked Alison's comments there at the end about motivating the team of volunteers by um, uh, focusing on the good that they're doing and, and singing the praises of the work. You know, I, th I think that's so important um, and, and something that you know we uh, we could certainly benefit from more of that, I guess, ourselves. So uh, lots that I learned from that interview personally. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I purposely didn't do a ton of research on Room to Grow before the interview because I wanted to genuinely, you know, respond to all of the clips that you, you had here. But now that I've heard them, I really wish that she were on the show because I have a ton of questions for her. But, you know, I'm sure that we, <laughs> I'm sure that we could um, reschedule her to come back live at some point, even just for just half an hour would be fantastic. And I'd like yeah. to thank her. Uh, what they're doing is really important. You know, we try to bring real-life superheroes onto this show as often as possible. Um, and, and that doesn't mean just the, the community, because if this is your first time listening and you've never heard of real-life superheroes, there is a growing community of people out there who, like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, do put on costumes um, at some point and go out and do good around their communities. 
And, uh, yeah, they, they know they don't have superpowers, most of them, but they try to do what they can. The people that we bring on this show, uh, they range from, uh, we've had a, a, a battalion chief here. We've had um, other celebrities, um, Chase Masterson from Deep Space Nine, um, Mark McYoung. So the people that we bring on, the reason we're bringing them on is because to us, what they're doing is very heroic. And even though some people say giving food to a homeless person is not a heroic act, I would disagree. I think that to that person, I've been the recipient of that meal. And that is my hero that day because I wasn't hungry after that. So um, bringing people on like Allison and Room to Grow really highlights what you can do when you're not in a costume, which is what 90% of the time. Um, and the volunteer opportunities that it presents for, for those of us in the real-life superhero community who aren't wearing costume right now. Um, I just, I'm blown away by the kindness of these people, and I'm, it's, it's an honor to be able to bring them to you, even if it's via a recorded interview, which I absolutely loved, <laughs> by the way. Um, so thank you so much for that. And, and if anyone from Room to Grow is listening, please let us know how we can help. We're all the way in California here. A Spectre is over there in New York, and we've got all kinds of people in between, but um, <laughs> we'd love to, to lend you a hand with this because it, it's something that I can absolutely stand 100% behind. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so one thing I'm going to be doing within the New York Initiative going forward is every two weeks we're going to be having a team go into Room to Grow and just and just volunteer there just to uh, do exactly what I was doing, you know, lift boxes and, and stack things and fold things and, and just just help out and help run the uh, the baby boutique. Um, so we're, we're certainly going to be doing that. The, the other thing that was really interesting while we've got a few minutes left is um, I was talking to Alison after the interview about the um, the previous show that we'd run on Heroes 101, um, where we had uh, Evo come on with uh, with Temper, I believe, and talk about um, PTSD and veterans. And we were talking about the 20 push-ups over 20 days thing. Um, and and she was really really interested in the work that the Washington Initiative had been doing around um, around veterans packs and, and what goes into them and how we distribute them and was really interested in helping out there. So uh, there may be you know and this is the way these things always go right. You meet good people and, and there's always something you want to work on together. So the uh, the veterans thing was was really of interest to Allison and the team there. Oh, uh, fantastic! I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, that was. Uh, that was our last show um, before this one, and the uh, veteran care packs are being created by the Washington branch of the initiative, and they um, they are to help once they get in the hands of veterans with PTSD. They're they're wonderful things to to keep your mind off of of things, to keep you occupied, and to help in the event of of, of a panic attack, etc. So. Um, these are fantastic, and uh, from what I hear, they're getting big requests for these items, these veterans care packs, because, um, well, you know, that's just like with the attention that the 22 push-ups is bringing, um, there are still so many Americans that don't know how many veterans come back and just cannot handle the trauma that they've been through and, and are committing suicide uh, to the number of, what is it, 22 per day? That's yeah, that's yeah. uh that's twenty two too many. So yeah. 
kudos. And, and, I would know, love and, to and see the them work together. And the point we made together. in the last show was 22 push-ups is great. You're going to look great by the end of it and do some <laughs> do, do some great working out. Um, what would probably be much more beneficial to the veterans that you're uh, reportedly trying to support is, is to actually do something real for them. And these, these veterans packs are a great way to, to really make a difference in someone's life who needs it, um, as well as some of the other stuff that Evo went through in that show that I, I won't try to steal his thunder, but, but basically just lending an ear and lending some support to people who need it as well. So, you know, I think the whole message there was uh, we can pick and choose how we try to help people and, uh, you know, you don't have to be doing a ton of push-ups. And, and there are people who aren't physically able, who can't do a ton of push-ups. But there are still ways that you can help veterans and, and help people with PTSD. Absolutely, absolutely. No, you're not stealing a thunder. I'm sure he'd want you to to repeat <laughs> what he was trying to say from the last show. So I'll check in on them. If you have friends who are veterans, absolutely check in on them to make sure that they're doing okay you know, um, out of the blue as often as you can. So, um, oh, and, and it looks like Spectre in the chat room. It looks like Impact, um, or a fellow real-life superhero, is saying if you volunteer the day that he's in town, um, he will join you for that volunteer uh, effort right there. So he's coming to New York. So there yeah, you go, you got somebody to join So, yeah, that's cool, actually, Impact. So we're, we're actually going to have, at the very least, a homeless outreach that day. So I'll send you messages um, about that. But at the very least, we'll be uh, heading out uh, after the office closes and uh, and heading around the mass transit hubs to give out some food and stuff to the homeless guys. So uh, at the very least, we'll do that. But it would be very cool to drop into a Room to Grow as well if we could that day. So we'll see what we can do. Fantastic. Lots of good things going on in New York. I got to get back out there. I missed it out there. I miss you guys. I'll shut up now. <laughs> well, I, I won't shut up. I'm on a radio show. so it's, <laughs> I'll shut up about that, okay? Um, but <laughs> speaking of things coming up, what what have we got coming up? Um, let's see. In the, We've got a fall outreach. Like you said, you've got stuff going on almost weekly now. And um, uh, we've got a all outreach. Any other um, real life superheroes out there who want to let us know what's going on with their teams? Um, you know what? We'd be happy to make announcements uh, here. Um, it's always toward the end of the show for your teams. All you have to do is drop us a line at uh, Heroes 101 and you can just find us by checking out our Facebook page. Just go on your uh, Facebook search bar and type in Heroes 101 Radio, and, and I promise you will be one of the first things that you see pop up. Give us a line. Tell us what your team is doing. Um, if, if you want to advertise some upcoming events, we'd, we'd be happy to, um, yeah, as long as they're... At, um, Tree Song, who was in the, the chat room a second ago in, in Illinois, um, and the team up in up there were uh, were involved in a, I think it was a 10K, I was trying to just load up the details, but it was a uh, a, a charity run recently and, and raised a good chunk right. of money for charity. Um, we're actually looking to do the same thing in the New York Initiative. Um, my cousin, actually, in, in the UK did this thing last year called Movember, which... Uh, the idea was you run a 5K every day in November, and and sponsor and sponsorship goes to uh, charities for for cancer research. So, uh, I, at the very least, me personally, I'm going to be running a 5K every day in November, which is uh, is going to suck. Holy but. crap! Are you serious? Okay, <laughs> you know what? You keep saying that you don't like to run, but then every time I turn around, you're posting where you've run that morning, making me feel crappy because you run in the snow you know, whatever. <laughs> so 
you might as well. Today is National Coming Out Day. By the way, congratulations to those of you who have come out. I'm behind you 100%. So you've always got support here if you need it. Um, you're coming out as a runner, aren't you, son? No, never. Whatever the I hell. Just, uh-huh. I just dislike uh-huh. cancer a hell of a lot more than I dislike running. So, uh, oh, go. good point. <laughs> Fine. I guess I have to do it too. I have to run a 5K every I don't want to run a 5K every day. I guess I, I have to. Maybe I can walk a 5K every day. Can I do that? Hey, that's not I bad. That, that's 10,000 right. steps. Yeah. Yeah, that'll work. Right, right. Yeah, my Fitbit broke. I need a new Fitbit so that I know, well, you know, I can pretty much tell what a 5K is. But, um,. <laughs> We're we're kind of rambling now because we're inspired. I, I don't know about you. I can't speak for you, but I'm pretty inspired now. I'm pretty motivated after hearing that interview, um, as is want to happen here after we interview somebody who's doing amazing things. It makes me want to get up out of my seat, literally go outside and do something. Yeah. So, and, you know, I mean, yeah. the, the key messages I got from this were, you know, regardless of the content, which was all great, but, I loved it that Alison said, um, if we're Band-Aids over a gaping wound, we need Band-Aids. You know, that's that's undeniable. Like, there are gaping wounds. We need Band-Aids for them. You know, we need a lot of Band-Aids. So <clears throat> what we're doing isn't inconsequential just because we're treating the uh, the symptoms rather than the, the cause. You know, it still needs to happen. Right. We still need that. Um, but we also exactly. need strategic measures that are cures as well and, and, and you know, to me, it's it's just 100% reassuring that there are groups out there that address both of those angles because we desperately need it. Right. So think globally, act locally, uh, do what you can, you know, with what you have. That's our message. So, And we try to give you ways to act locally as often as possible. Yeah. So, so uh, you know, um, I guess it's that time of the night, really. So, I, you know, I suppose yeah. all we can really do at this point is, um, ah, we just shared a link in the chat room for Movember. You know, I don't think I've even seen that before, so I should probably look and see what I'm getting myself into. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so I guess we should thank uh, all of our guests in the chat room. You guys talked a lot tonight. And, uh, some of it was good stuff as well. Thank you. Um, so, uh, in the chat room. Right, thank you in the chat room. Chat rooms. Yeah. Yeah, and, and thanks to Alison for Room to Grow for coming on and agreeing to the interview. Of course, to uh, my lovely co-host Rock and to Nightbug on the soundboards. Um, and we will be back very soon. We've got a whole bunch of cool stuff. And you know what? It's coming up to our favorite time of the year where we've got Halloween and we've got Thanksgiving and then Christmas and the New Year. And it's, yep. you know, it's time for some stupid, goofy, fun shows from us. You, you must chill. You no, must we're not going to chill. <laughs> and if you and if you were on hold, I think we were we we are sorry we couldn't get to you tonight. We wanted to get through the interview because we've been holding that one off for a while. We'll, we can get to you the next uh, on the next show, next week's show, same bat time, same bat channel. Cool. So yeah, thanks for Room okay. to Grow. Look them up on RoomToGrow.com. Uh, go along to their Power Breakfast in a couple of weeks at Bryant Park Grill on the 25th, um, and uh, volunteer where you can, when you can, and. We will uh, we will see you same bat time same bat
radio is mental. I just want to say that. Put that thing away. You're going to get us all killed. I know, right? Have a good one. (laughs) 